Hi, I'm Laura Lira, the West Shore Campus Pastor of Coastline Church in beautiful Victoria, British Columbia. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. I hope you enjoy this message. Welcome to church, everybody. So excited to see you. Thank you for being troopers navigating the parking lot. Um, We're just believing that people over there are just going to get the overflow of what God is doing in here. Amen. And youth band, can we give it up for the amazing youth band? The future is bright with you guys. You know, people can look at the news and hear what's going on in schools or whatever, but we can see Jesus moving in the youth. Amen. And that gets my heart excited. Yeah, you can clap to that. Gets our hearts excited. And I just can't wait to see what um, you guys do for Jesus. And I just wanted to give you a verse, 1 Timothy 4, 12, to just keep stepping out in the confidence that God has given you. And don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers. And that means for us. Like, set an example for us um, in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. You guys, we're just so excited to see this city change for Jesus. And may our ceiling become your guys' floor. So we are so excited. So we love you, youth. Thank you for being here. Um, We are in week three of our Ruth series. My name is Laura. If I haven't met you yet, hello. My husband James and I are the campus pastors here. And last week, Emily shared just such an amazing message. 37 and a half weeks pregnant. She shared. She encouraged us. And you're in the second row, but I really want to honor Emily right now. Um, you can, I, yeah, where Sheila is going to come in um, and come over here. So I don't know. We can, we can just come over here and can I talk past this thing over here? Okay, good. Okay, so Emily, this is her last Sunday um, serving with us for a while before she goes on maternity leave. And we just... We just love her. If you know Emily, you love her. She has just the biggest heart for Jesus and for people and for helping people take their next steps. She has so much joy. You could, she could go into any environment of like the grumpiest people ever and they will be laughing by the time they leave because she just brings so much positivity, so much joy. Um, she gets stuff done. Um, she's an incredible communicator. We have been, you know, this church has been so blessed to have her, um, but we're just so excited for her next season, for being a mom of two, for raising a daughter. Um, so can we just pray and bless Emily um, and just like show your appreciation for her. Uh, we're so thankful for you. So let's let's pray. So, so people around her, can you lay your hand on her? So Jesus, we just thank you so much for Emily, God. God, we thank you for the call on her life, Jesus, that she just follows you wholeheartedly. God, she left the teaching um, position, Lord, um, in in schools, God, to follow the call that you have given her, Jesus, um, to preach your word, to, to build your church, God. And so, Lord, I just pray for her in this new season that she's stepping into um, as a mom of two, God, that you would just give her the grace that she needs, that you would give her the strength 
that she needs, Lord, that you would bless this daughter inside of her who's about to um, take her first breath, God. Um, Lord, I just pray that you would just um, get rid of any fear in Jesus' name and that you would fill her so completely, Holy Spirit, with all that you are um, and with your wisdom, with your joy, um, with your peace, which transcends all understanding. May it guard her heart, guard her mind, God, um, where there's no room for fear because she's so full of you, Jesus. So we just pray um, for just an amazing um, just start of this next season, transition, God, as she waits for baby girl to come, as baby girl comes, we just pray for your protection over um, this sweet little child, God, and over Easton and Brett, their beautiful family, um, as they serve you and give glory to you, God. So bless her in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. We love you, Emily. So last week, Emily shared um, from Ruth, um, chapter two, how the Lord turned the page on the story of Ruth and how Ruth providentially ended up picking grain in the field of Boaz, who was the man of standing and a relative of Naomi. And the Lord was at work in the story. And you can be encouraged that God is at work in your story. He's a good God. She talked about how faithful he is. And today we're going to be focusing on the love story that's about to unfold. So just warning you, I'm going to be talking about relationships. Um, Pastor Andy, on March 10th, when we're all going to go to Victoria, either to the nine or to the two or to the six, um, he's going to be talking an incredible message about singles, but it's for the church-wide. So get there. Um, it's going to be really good. But today we're going to be focusing on love. So we are going to read from the Bible, um, Ruth 3. 14 to 20. So at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. It was their first date, everyone. <laughs> so when she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some leftover. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. And her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I work with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. So let's pray before we get into the message. Jesus, we love you. We thank you, God, that you are here. Holy Spirit, you are here. And you know each heart that is in this room. You are the ultimate father. You take care of your children. And God, you know the heartache that we may be experiencing right now. You know the season that we may be in right now. And God, I just pray that you would bring hope today. Hope for marriages, Lord. Hope for those who are waiting. Hope for singles today, God. Bring your hope, Holy Spirit. May you give us a teachable spirit today. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. 
So, did anyone keep a diary growing up? Raise your hand if you did. Okay, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. Um, you know, I love to journal, and I think it stemmed from watching Harriet the Spy as a little kid who just, like, she journaled everything. If you remember, I remember hiding in a tree that had, like, it was basically like a twig, and I was, like, spying on my neighbors, taking notes about them. If you haven't seen the movie, it's about that. Um, but I did journal, and it wasn't just notes about other people and stuff about my day. Um, I kept many diaries growing up, many journals growing up, and I just kept filling them up and up. And you know what I plan to do with them? I don't plan to give them to my children. I plan to burn them. I want to have a fire. So I don't know about the fire codes in the West Shore, but let's have a journal burning fire um, from my childhood. Because I, they, if I read them now, they would 100% make me cringe. Um, and I don't want my kids to discover them. We were talking the other day about what to do with your journals. And some people are like, oh, I just, it'll be so nice to have your kids like learn about you. I'm like, nah, uh, uh, not, not then, not, no, no. I do not want my child learning about my teenage crushes. Because most of my diaries from preteen to teenagehood were focused on one thing wishing for a boyfriend. That's what my diaries were about. And I 100% believe that having a boyfriend would change my life. Like absolutely, completely turn it from a boring, ordinary life to like Disney music on, birds are flying around me, butterflies are here. And I'm just so in love and so happy. And you know, I like to say I got a little wiser when I became a Christian at 18, but it wasn't really the case. You know, instead of wishing for a boyfriend, I started praying for a husband. And that's not wrong. Like, that's not wrong. Like, pray for your future spouse. You know, if you are a grandparent, pray for your grandchildren's future spouse. Parents, pray for your kids' future spouses. It's a good thing. But for me, I still believe my focus was just my life will be complete when I have a husband. That was my absolute focus. You know, I would not be fully living the life until I met the one, the one. And as in my early 20s, I spent so much time, so much energy, so many tears, like tear-soaked pillows, just trying to make relationships work that were not meant to be. And I look back and I'm like, Thank you, Jesus, that those relationships did not work out. It would not have been a good thing. And I remember just getting to a time in my 20s where I just had to surrender it all to Jesus. And I was just like, you know what, Lord, if I'm going to be single, I'm going to be single. Like, I am not going to do the work anymore about trying to make a relationship happen, trying to get this, this husband that's going to change my life. I'm just like, Jesus, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to keep my head down, and I'm going to stay focused on you. And, um, and Jesus came through and brought James into my life. And 13 years later, we are here. And, but you know, you know, our world is so focused on love, right? You know, it's in the movies we watch. It's in the books we read. It's in the songs we listen to. But if we look at the culture to define love for us, we're going to get the most unbiblical perspective, right? Love, the culture would say, this is love. No, what they are saying, this is lust. This is not love. And if you've been married for longer than a few months, you know love isn't just a fuzzy feeling. I remember being engaged and this woman in um, James's dad's church <laughs> said to me, 
oh, it's not going to get better until you're 10 years in. I was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> Thanks for the encouragement. But you know, it's the honeymoon phase at the beginning. And as a culture, we are programmed to believe that that honeymoon phase is what it's like for the rest of our relationship. That, you know, everything's going to make sense when you meet that soulmate, that life will just be perfect, that you're going to walk hand in hand into the sunset. And it's just going to be so amazing because you have the one. And if you're, if you're in this relationship and it's not amazing, well, maybe that person's not the one. That is a lie. And it's a lie that holds back people from going into a holy relationship that God has for his people. It's not realistic. Relationships are complicated they are messy. They consist of two flawed human beings coming together. And know this, a marriage is not going to fulfill you or make your life complete. Only Jesus can do that. Amen? Only Jesus went to the cross and died for your sins. Only Jesus knows you fully, knows you, and loves you unconditionally. Only Jesus has that joy, has that peace that transcends all understanding. Your spouse can't give you that. Only Jesus can do that. So the prerequisite to a meaningful relationship is a meaningful relationship with Jesus. And without a deeply fulfilling relationship with Christ, we can put too much pressure on our marriage to fulfill us. And it won't measure up. And it will set your spouse up for a loss. And it will set you up for a loss. Jesus is the only one who can give you that fulfillment. But marriage is a gift from God. Marriage is God's idea, and so much goodness can come out of it. And today we are going to be talking about forming or restoring a meaningful relationship. So I, I just want to be sensitive to you. Many of us are in different stages. We, we may be single. We may be um, coming out of a season of heartbreak, of loss, of divorce. Um, I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. So just let's just go in with a teachable spirit. Amen. All right, so we're going to take a deep dive into Ruth. We're going to glean some wisdom from the gleaner and see how we can form and restore a godly relationship. So number one, there's some characteristics. You can write them down if you want. So number one, you want to build your relationship on character. So Ruth 2, 8 to 11. Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. Don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And, and whenever you are thirsty, go get a drink from the water jars that the men filled up. And at this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner, you know, a Moabite? She's just like amazed at his kindness. And he replied, you know what? I've been told all about you, what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and your mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. So in these verses, these few verses, we see a lot of the character of Boaz and Ruth. You know, Boaz immediately stepped up as a caring man. He was just looking for Ruth's safety, right? He let her know. He's like, you know what? You don't even have to go fill up your water at the well and, like, bring it over here. You can just have the water that my men filled up. That wasn't, that wasn't what protocol happened. The gleaners would bring their own water with them. Um, so that was a privilege. And he's just like, I got you, girl. I'm going to take care of you. I love you. Well, he didn't say that yet, but he's just like, I see something in you. I got you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to protect you. 
And then Ruth just bowing before Boaz, it just showed such humility and gratitude, right? Like she was this Moabite woman who was like despised by from by Israelites, right? And she just couldn't believe that he was so kind to her. And that was just the beginning of the kindness. It was a match made in heaven. You know, Ruth was wonderful too. Um, she had just such a loyalty to her mother-in-law. She left behind um, the pagan religion and followed the Lord. Um, she she had made a huge sacrifice in coming to Israel, and it didn't go unnoticed. She had character. So how different are the things that people look for in a spouse today? So the number two things that people look for in a spouse are looks, physical appearance, and money. Those are the top two things that our culture would say to look for in a spouse. Wealth is not guaranteed. Beauty will fade. And if you marry for these two things, you will be let down. And you will be really lonely in your marriage. We need to build our relationships on character. And in Coastline staff culture, we like to say, you know, your gifts and talents may open the door, but your character is going to keep you there. Your character is going to keep you in the ministry that you were called to. You know, your gifts can only take you so far. Your looks. Money, that can only take you so far, but your character is what is going to help sustain the relationship. And, you know, firstly, the character of Christ. And what I would tell, I used to work with teenage girls a lot, do girls conferences, pre-tech girls summer camps. And I would say, if they were like, ooh, I like this boy, I would say, does he love Jesus? You know, Eden, I would be like, Eden was like, oh, I've been talking to this guy. I'd be like, Eden, does he love Jesus? You know, that is very important. And Pastor Andy went into deep about that a few weeks back. You can listen to that, but you got to base it on the character of Christ first. But then secondly, what does his character look like? You know, does he say he loves Jesus, but does it look like he loves Jesus? You know, is there fruit in their life? Is there joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? How do they treat other people when no one's watching? How do they go through every season? Are they serving the Lord? And so when a person shows you their true colors in dating, so this is to the dating people, the single people in the house, don't make excuses for someone's behavior. You know, if you see a red flag when you're dating, run in the other direction. That's your sign from God. Like run, don't make an excuse. You know, he's He's rude to waiters, but he's really nice to me. Like, uh, is he going to be nice to you your whole life? Like, I don't know. You know, she tears people down. She's such a good listener. If there's a red flag in your dating, you got to run in the other direction. And you got to trust the discernment. The Holy Spirit knows you. He will give you peace. He really will. God wants to speak into your future relationship. And God will give you peace about something and discernment. And we're going to talk about later about getting advice from other people. But to the marrieds in the house, having character means no white lies and no secrets. When you are married, two becomes one, right? You know, togetherness in everything. Your spouse should be your best friend your closest person. You know, Adam said to Eve, the bone of my bone, the flesh of my flesh. And those who have the closest relationship to us need to have the most access to us, right? So it's like, here's my phone, James. Scroll through my text messages. Here's my email. Here's my Amazon cart history. Yes, I bought that. 
accountability will only make your marriage stronger. It really will. You know, but what we got to do, an important note, is working on our own character before pointing the finger. And I could be so bad at this. I'll be like, oh, James, blah, 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 blah. And then I realize, okay, I totally reacted there. I was angry. I'm worried about this other thing. That was not okay. Um, we got to work on ourselves before we point the finger, right? Allow Christ to work in you, in your character. Own your shortcomings. Ask for forgiveness. Say sorry, love, and serve the other person. And, you know, even if they aren't currently wanting to change right now, why don't you just continue to love them and serve them and invest and build into the relationship? So build your relationship on character. The second one, invest in your connection. So we approached the first date for Boaz and Ruth. So let's hear. At mealtime, Boaz said, come over here. Have some bread. Dip it in the wine vinegar. And when she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. And she ate all that she wanted and had some leftover. He took her to a buffet dinner. They had a connection there. So you may notice that this is a group date. There were actually all the workers were there. And they were going slow and Friends, young people, it's okay to go slow, like like turtle pace, slow. Go slow. And the parents in the house said, amen. <laughs> go slow in the relationship. Take it slow. Be friends. Um, you know, the church can sometimes do a disservice. Not that we preach about it, but it's like, I just need to get married. You know, I, I need to get married young. We put pressure on young people. And James and I got married pretty quick, and we probably could have benefited from just working on ourselves and doing counseling um, before getting married. But God, the Lord worked. Our early years of marriage were quite hard, and I think there may have been some be benefits if we had waited a little bit longer. And to the single ladies, you want a guy like Boaz who will pursue you. He says, come here, you know, invite you out. And you are worth more than someone pursuing you for a hookup, right? You're worth more than someone pursuing you for um, just for your body. Make sure the guy is pursuing you for you. And don't underestimate friendships. You know, the late Timothy Keller, he wrote an incredible book called The Meaning of Marriage, and I highly recommend it um, for married and singles. They ha he has a chapter on singleness. It's really good. And this is what he says. He's we think of a prospective spouse as primarily a lover or a provider. And if he or she can be a friend on top of that, well, isn't that nice? We should be going at it the other way around. Screen for friendship first. Look for someone who understands you better than you do yourself, who makes you a better person just by being around them. And then explore whether that friendship could become a romance and marriage. So don't underestimate friendship. And to um, the single guys in the house, I just want to encourage you to let God restore your confidence. Go after that girl. Um, you know, the Garden of Eden, man's, one of man's first sins was a sin of passivity, right? Adam just let um, Eve, the serpent, talk to Eve. He didn't step in there. Fight against that passiveness. Yeah. Pursue and lead in the relationship. That's what God is calling you to. And if you're married, make a fresh commitment to invest in the connection together. Invest in your connection. After God, the number one person that you should be connecting with is your spouse. So be careful 
of those close relationships who aren't your spouse. Maybe it's someone at work. Maybe, you know, it's an old friend. The grass is not greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it. So invest in your marriage. Invest, even if it's hard, invest in that connection. And you know what? If trust has been broken, if you're going through a hard season, allow God to begin to rebuild it. Let God in. Go to counseling. See what God can restore. He wants us to invest in our connection as spouses to have that number one relationship, obviously with him, but then with each other. So sometimes it means, you know, kids go to bed. You got to put the phone down, put it on airplane mode. And this is a hard one. And James has called me out on it so many times. He continues to do it. Put your phone down. This is not that connection that you want. You want the connection with your spouse. This will just kind of stand as a wedge in between you and your spouse. Um, date nights, have more fun together, laugh together, have that friendship. Put the other first. Marriage is the covenant. We're under the lordship of Jesus. We put our spouse first. And if your spouse does not feel that you are putting him or her first, then by definition, you aren't. And when that happens, your marriage could be dying, friends. So be careful. This is a huge one that has been huge for me. Be careful putting your kids before your spouse. You know, moms, we love our kids. We would die for our children. But your kids aren't your spouse. Your kids are not that covenant relationship. Your spouse is that. And your kids are only going to be more blessed from the overflow when you invest in the connection with your spouse. They really will. And I know it's hard. Like, you got little kids that are hanging off of you. You're just like, I don't want to be touched or anyone talk to you at all times but it's so worth it. So take baby steps. Maybe it's just praying together before you go to sleep at night instead of going to sleep on your phone, right? Maybe it's just going for a walk, um, get a babysitter, just go for a walk, have a date night, invest in your marriage and your kids, your parenting will be better when you invest in your marriage. I guarantee that. Invest in the connection. You know, there. um I'm Italian. I love to say that. I love my Italian culture. And um, my my brother and my sister-in-law got to go visit a lot of our relatives in Italy. And um, the man of the house there, um, I don't know how I'm, I'm somehow related, distant cousin. Um, they said that every time that he would come home from work, he'd come home from work late. And I think he was like in his 50s. And he would just stop every, he would come in and he's like, where is my wife? I want to kiss her. And just had this huge um, display of love and affection. Like before he picked up his kids, and not that he didn't love them, you know, he wanted to say like, I am going to invest in this connection with my wife. So maybe it does mean coming home, greeting your spouse first before anything, saying that you love them, right? Invest in the connection. Number three, use kindness and generosity to express your care. So as she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some of the stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. That's Ruth 2, 15 to 16. Boaz guarded Ruth's dignity, right? He let her work. He didn't say, oh, here's a handout. I'm just going to give you all of this stuff. He was like, no, you're going to work, but watch this. I'm going to bless you, girl. I'm going to cover you, girl. 
so Boaz ordered his workers to let her glean among the sheaves. Um, so that was just not picking up that spilled over, leftover grain, right? He was like, they, she could glean there. And he's like, don't embarrass her. And then also they were to pull stalks from the bundles that hadn't been tied up by the women and leave them for her to pick up. So his instructions were generous and went far beyond the law that Emily talked about, the Levitical law, where it was like the poor could have the leftovers, like what's fallen off, right? He went above and beyond that because he just blessed her and made sure that she was taken care of. And um, I just love that. He, he just gave her abundantly more. And it's just such a picture of what God does for us, right? This evidence of God in this. We don't get what we deserve. We don't get the leftovers from God. We get abundantly more grace forgiveness, a new start. And he has abundantly more for your relationships. Boaz was so generous. He was kind and he showed selflessness. And this is exactly the opposite of what the world expects in a relationship. You know, the world makes it about us. Well, how how do they make you feel? How is this relationship making you a better person? How is it benefiting you? And it's a lot of self-centeredness. Self-centeredness, this is another Timothy Keller quote, is a havoc-wreaking problem in many marriages, and it is the ever-present enemy of every marriage. It is the cancer in the center of a marriage when it begins, and it has to be dealt with. We have to deal with the self-centeredness, and the Bible makes it clear. This verse was probably in a lot of your weddings. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud, it does not dishonor, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. And when I got married, I you you realize how self-centered you are. Like you can say amen if you're married, you're like, I am so selfish. And then when you become become a parent, it's just like Oh my goodness, what is wrong with me? But it's something that we need to fight. We need to fight the self-centeredness and put our spouse before ourselves. You know, it didn't benefit Boaz to be kind. He was kind because he practiced kindness and he was a generous person. And so Ruth gleaned, Ruth 2.17, and then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. And an ephah was about two weeks of wages. So what, in one day, she picked up two weeks. I can just imagine, I don't, like grain. I'm not a farmer, so I don't really understand it. But she's walking with all of this grain, two weeks worth. He was generous to her. So in relationships, young people, don't settle. Don't settle just because he's cute. You know, do not settle. When someone doesn't meet, like, you want them to exceed the expectation that you have. But And I'm not talking about tall, dark, and handsome guy coming in on a horse. I'm talking about having wisdom, you know, having a teachable spirit, having humility, being a hard worker, kindness, integrity, right? Don't settle for, um, do, don't settle for less than this. Being gentle, loving, caring. How does he talk to his family, right? How does he talk to his closest friends? How does she talk about her her friends? Don't settle and sacrifice these qualities. And men, if you want a Ruth, be a Boaz, be a giver, be generous, be selfless. Because you don't just attract what you want, 
you tend to attract what you are, right? So working on ourselves is key. Build these characteristics in ourselves. Do the work. Go to counseling. I wish I did in my early 20s before our marriage. Do freedom. Go, the next time we do freedom, do it. Do the work. God has so much for you. And in marriage, keep fighting to put the other one first. Keep fighting that self-centeredness, right? It's a cancer to our marriage. Keep fighting to put the other one first. Surprise each other with extra kindness. Learn your five love languages. If you don't know your five love languages, look it up online. Um, there's quality time, physical touch, acts of service, words of affirmation, and gifts. And it kind of discerns how you like to give and receive love. So you get to learn about your spouse and learn how they like to receive love. And if you did it before you have kids, do it again. Because before I had kids, um, acts of service was at the bottom of the list. But now I'm like, James vacuums. Oh my goodness. I feel so loved. I feel so appreciated. I love you. So discover what your um, spouse's love languages are and then be kind, be generous, go big with that, bless them, show them the kindness of God, right? And then number four, let others bring confirmation. So her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And then Ruth told her mother-in-law about at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. You know, it's a good sign when those who are closest to you like who you like, right? That's a good sign. And one of the biggest red flags that I've seen in couples in church over the years is when they tend to get together and then disappear. You're like, where did they go? I haven't seen them. They stopped serving. Um, you know, the enemy wants to isolate us so he can assassinate us. And it's the true, it's true with couples too. We need to be in community together. So, so um, youth today, let your parents and your siblings weigh in on those relationships. Let your close Christian friends, your youth leader, your small group leader, let them weigh in. Tell them about the person. Introduce the person. Um, and don't just ask the advice, because I used to do this, of the people who are just going to give you the advice that you want to hear, right? Right? Proverbs 27, 6 says, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from the enemy. Sometimes the truth hurts, but the truth will set you free. Amen? And we got to speak it in love. So like parents, you, you don't like um, the boyfriend or the girlfriend of your kid. Um, sometimes we can just say it right away and just really push them away. We got to just walk with the Lord in discernment um, and trust in him and speak that truth in love, right? In love. And for marrieds, we got to let other people into our marriage. People need to witness your bond. Pete Scazzaro, he says, your marriage is your loudest gospel. When I first heard that, because Pastor Andy teaches on that a lot, I was just like, oh my goodness, I am failing the world. My marriage is my loudest gospel. You know, and I think it's because COVID did a disservice on people. It got us isolated, right? And we didn't let people into our life. We used to have people in our house and people over all the time. And then with COVID, you just kind of get relaxed and like, I'm just, you know, I don't have to clean my house. I don't have, I'll just see people at church or see them at work and we'll just have our nice quiet nights in. 
but we need to share married people, share your marriages with singles and other married couples in your community. And not just married people, singles too. Bring singles in. Um, 1 Peter 4, 9 says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. I love that. I love that encouragement. He's like, you better be hospitable and don't complain about it, okay? You're not gonna complain about it. You're gonna do it without grumbling. You're gonna invite others to your house. And it's okay if your house is messy. Um, I love having people over and they'll just kind of laugh and they'll be like, wow, your house looks different than it does online. <laughs> like, you got, you got lots of messy corners. I'm like, yep, I do. This is real life. But we need to display the realness of our houses, but also the real work of your marriage not just the sweet and light parts, but the hard parts too, right? God wants to show others what he's doing in your marriage and encourage other people about it. And Pastor Andy and Lisa, they do it so well. They are real. They fight. Like, can you believe it? Pastor Andy's greatest advice for not fighting on the way to church is to drive in separate cars. So if you don't want to fight with your spouse on the way to church, drive in separate cars. Or it's like, you're taking the bus or an Uber? I'm taking the minivan. But I just love them so much. They are just so real and they just, they invite others in and we get to see the realness of marriage and that marriages, there are hard seasons in our marriage and we need to show people and singles need to have a true real perspective of marriage, right? Not the Hollywood perspective of marriage, but that marriage is hard but it's so glorious too, right? That it's just not satisfying, but it is hard and glorious that God works in marriages and is glorified in marriages. And this will only happen when we let others in, when we give people a real picture. Invite them in, invite them to dinner, invite them to be part of this small group, hang out with others, bring them on camping trips, Um, be real with others. So in Ruth 2.20, Naomi says, the Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man, Boaz, he's our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. And you know, guardian redeemer is an important statement. And Pastor Chris will be here next week and he will preach more about it. But just spoiler alert, Boaz and Ruth, they do get married and they do have a child and his name was um, Obed and he was the father of Jesse, who was the father of King David, who is the direct, you know, direct ancestors of Jesus. Their marriage, their relationship pointed to Jesus and our relationships need to do the same. The world needs Jesus. Our marriage isn't just this one thing on the side of our life. It is our greatest gospel, right? The world needs to see healthy and real marriages. We need to see healthy and real marriages. And marriage is a way where we get to display his goodness, God's goodness. It's a picture of Christ loving the church. It's about sanctification, Marriage isn't about making us happy. And the world needs to know that. It's about making us holy. Holiness gives us new desires and brings old desires into line with one another. 
So if we want to be happy in marriage, we will accept that marriage is designed to make us holy. James, why don't you come up? I'm going to have James come up and pray for marriages today. this working there we go um yeah i just uh i just want to have a a moment where we can just ask the holy spirit to help us i think we all whether we're married or not um we have something we can receive from this uh, amazing message um and i love what the word of god says about marriage um and you know some of the things that pastor lord touched on the enormous pressure and the unrealistic expectations that our culture sets on marriage. Um, you know, even maybe you're single and maybe you've lost faith in marriage. Maybe you don't even believe that marriage works anymore. You've just, you've been impacted by a divorce. Um, you've seen the brokenness and the isolation. The Holy Spirit wants to meet you in that yeah. place today. Um, if you're in a marriage and you just feel stuck, I just believe that God wants to meet you in that place. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, you talked on the how we can point the finger and we're so fixated on the other person's problems. Um, I just believe that God wants to free us from that. And it's amazing when God meets us in a place, like a week later, a month later, yeah. we can be in a completely different place from one experience and encounter with, the God, with our God. So maybe band, can you come up? Can we just all stand together and um, just prepare, just prepare our hearts here for a moment. So all of, all of these problems that we see, the questions, the ideologies that our culture brings about marriage, they're all met and fulfilled in the word of God. Ephesians 5 it gives us a beautiful and powerful picture of what marriage is meant to be. So can we just close our eyes right now in prayer? And I just want to read. This is, this is for the, the men in the, in the house here. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The message says, husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving and not getting. So Holy Spirit, we just say right now, come and help us. Help us men to go all out in our love for our wives. Jesus, you died for us, freeing us from our sin and our shame forgiving us so that we could be with you. You loved us so much. You wanted to be together with us. Help us, Lord. Help us, Holy Spirit, to love our wives in that same way. You had marriage in your heart to mirror Christ and his relationship with the church before Christ even came. So, Lord, we want to live your way for marriage. It's designed to be, to make us holy. So help us, Holy Spirit, with that. And we just pray that any marriages in this place that are feeling stuck, God, would you just break through today? Would there be an act 
of forgiveness, where there's bitterness and where there's resentment, where there would forgiveness and grace flow. God, where there is strongholds and shame and patterns of distraction and isolation, um, God, we just pray that a step would be taken today, a commitment would be taken to serve one another out of reverence for Christ, to submit to one another in love. God, we just, we don't want to live selfish. We don't want to live only looking about what we can get. So help us, Lord, to serve one another in love. Yeah, God, we thank you for the work that you're doing. We love you. Thank you for this amazing word today. We receive it and we lean into it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.